Oh, that's bad. It's... Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, today's topic, um, or let me say today's story, is going to be for sure an interesting one. I pray that we can um, learn lessons, we can discuss, we can um, get something from it that is practical and that is usable, um, but also understand some of the dangers that are out there. Um, so thank you, Lord, for bringing us here and giving us this time where we can um, fellowship and talk and discuss and learn and, and study together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're heading to um, 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's where we're going to pick up our story. Um, does where did we where did we leave off last week? Um, we, we kind of skipped to the end. Um, so when Saul died. Ooh, right. So we um we kind of did a bit about like the animosity between David and Saul, and uh, yeah, we just discussed how Saul's end came. Um. So. At this point, after Saul dies, um, David essentially becomes the next king, yeah? Um, and there's kind of stories about David's valour and how he ends up beating several different armies across his, the first kind of period of his reign. And then we get to Second Samuel chapter 11. So I understand David is in a good place right now. David has just been made king after 20 years of running around with Saul um, and he's just beaten a few other nations around everyone loves him everyone's happy Jerusalem and Israel are flourishing they're beating their neighbours like no, there's no problems at this point everything's going how it should be going in Israel yeah and then we're going to read verse 1 right and just remember, right when we first started these, this, these studies of kings, right, as Samuel was talking to the people and he said, look, these kings are going to be doing madness. They're going to be taking people for their whatever. They're going to be taking taxes. They're going to be doing this. And you, ultimately, they're going to lead you astray, right? So just understand, David is probably one of, if, the, if not the best king of Israel, right? However, we're going to read like bits about David's life right now. So, you know, it would have been, we know it would have been better if they hadn't called for a king. But, all right, let's get into it because we got, we got quite a lot to, uh, to get into today. So, first one. First Samuel, uh, sorry, second Samuel chapter 11, first one. Are we doing two verses each? Um, let's just do, we're going to have to go like verse by verse for, for at least like the foreseeable future because the story escalates pretty quickly. So. so just first one for now. And it came to pass. Sorry. And it, and it came to pass. 
Sure. Oh, I need to my light on. Cool. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and, beside, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Cool. Okay. So, first thing it says is, um, it came to pass after the year had expired. So, do we know about the the um the Jewish calendar? What time in the year did the Jewish calendar start? Around about March. March, so springtime, yeah. So spring is the first is the is the first season of the Jewish calendar, which makes sense because you know spring is of new beginnings and all this kind of thing. So it goes spring, summer, autumn, winter, new year, right? So when it talks about um, the after the year was expired, it means winter just passed and now it's spring. And what would happen is because kings um, or armies and, and nations, they don't go to war in winter because it was difficult to get food there. It was cold. Like no one really wanted to fight in winter. You know what I mean, it was just expensive. It just, there, there was really no practical point in fighting in winter. So this is why in spring, this is why now is time. We can now go and fight the battles that we need to fight. So this is why it says, this is the time where kings went forth to battle. Yeah? Okay. So what, what was the problem? What happened? They went to battle, but David was like, no. He said in Jerusalem. David's it says David tarried in Jerusalem. What does, what does the, the phrase tarried suggest? He was being lazy. Being lazy. He, didn't he should have fight. been there, isn't it? He knows he should have been there, but he kind of tarried. Shuffling you know his mean? feet. Shuffling his feet. Procrastinated. Procrastinating. Cool. What, what's the what's the uh, what's the um, well-known phrase about idle hands? The devil makes work for them. The devil makes work for them. And understand, right? David um, didn't go to fight humans. But now he's going to be fighting something else very, very soon, right? So if David had done his job right from verse one, the next three chapters are, are, aren't going to happen. Yeah, the next three chapters don't happen if David, if David does his job. But right here in verse one, this is the whole reason why the whole next situation happens. And he has a few chances to correct himself, but right here is the very first mistake. Yeah? Tarried in Jerusalem. What is he doing there? You should be out there fighting. He says he sent Joab to go fight the people. What was he doing there? There was no reason for him to be at the palace at this time. The, the, it says all of Israel. Joab, his servants, and all of Israel were gone out to battle, and him one left. Yeah? Cool. All right. Let's move on. Yeah? The devil makes idle work makes work for idle hands. Verse two. Sorry, before we get to verse two, actually, what does what does what does the mindset suggest of David now that he's tiring? 
not just is that he's lazy, but what has changed in his mind? The fact that he is not going out to battle. Maybe he's uncertain. I wouldn't suggest he's uncertain, given the fact that it says he's ta- he's tarrying. Like, what does it like? What does it suggest about him as a person? He doesn't want to. Or do what it. has changed in his mindset compared to what we see David doing when he was beating up Goliath and he was killing bears and, and lions and for 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 a sheep. I think maybe his confidence had waned. His confidence had waned. You think? Maybe. Yeah, possibly. I feel like it's the opposite. Really? I feel like at this point, David has got a bit lax. Like he is almost like he knows that we're going to win. So you know what? I don't really need to be on my job anymore. Mm. It's almost like before it was like, right, God, like this is God's battle. God needs to do this in me. Like, boy, the life isn't a joke. We Like God is going to do some do, do some do a miracle here now it's a bit like yeah well to be honest i don't even really need to be there just send the armies out they'll do the job yeah hey guys you guys go give me a little feedback what do you think does that make I sense a, i feel like he's become a bit half-hearted in his craft like he's just doing things like for the sake of doing it, not because he actually has like the, I don't know, I don't know what the word would be, but he's just, it's half-hearted. He yeah. didn't really care much as he cared before. He's kind of lost that vigour, isn't it? He's lost yeah, he's, the... got no vim. he's got no vim with what he's doing. He's yeah, like, no I'll, vim. I'll just parry. Cool. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. All right, All right. let's go to verse two. And it came to pass. In an, in an evening tide that David arose from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon right <laughs> okay what just happens So for me, <laughs> the, um, remember David's king. So David is um he's on the roof of his palace, probably got big balconies and all of that. And he looks and he sees a woman bathing. What is interesting about this is that he looks long enough to notice that she is very beautiful. So you can tell that David wasn't someone that like sees it turns his head away David definitely engaged um, engaged his eyes in the act of looking probably got his binoculars if such a thing existed back then I've, I've heard the phrase right that uh, he, he originally noticed then he looked and then he watched you understand a noticing is like that is um, a good way to put it. Yeah, noticing is like oh, something is kind of coming to your field of view, and you recognise that it's there. Oh, I've just seen X, right? Looking is now it's got your attention. Oh, what's what's going on there? And you're kind of now focused on it. Watching is now you might as well you know you watch a film. You understand? You might as well sit down, grab a bit of popcorn, and you, you're there. 
So it went from noticing Bathsheba to looking at Bathsheba to watching Bathsheba. Understand? Noticing isn't a sin. But once it's got to watching, it's, got, it's gone a bit too far at this point. Yeah. The, there's an element um, quote from Patriots and Prophets that says, It was now while David was at ease and unguarded that the tempter seized his opportunity to occupy his mind. The fact that God had taken David into so close connection with himself and had manifested so great favour toward him should have been to him the strongest incentive to preserve his character unblemished. But when in ease and self-security he let go of his hold upon God, David yielded to Satan and brought upon his soul the stain of guilt. Mad. All right, verse three. That's for anyone? Um, guys, just checking where we are. Is it 1 Samuel 11? 1 Samuel 20? chapter 11. Yeah, firstly. It's 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, so yeah. Chapter 11, first thing. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Okay, cool. So David sends um, for one of his servants. It says... Isn't like who who's that woman, right? And the servant says, "Oh, that's Bathsheba." You know, the the married woman, you know, the wife of Uriah, your your soldier, the good soldier that you have, the Hittite. Now, the Hittites were um were not Israelites, right? But they lived in Canaan, right from back from like Abraham's time, yeah. So, like, Uriah was almost like um, what you would call an immigrant, right? But he was faithful to God. So he had kind of put away whatever, like, the heathens were on, the, um, on and he was like, he was part of the, of, the, of the Israelite camp, right? But he wasn't an Israelite. Okay. So Uriah the Hittite, that's his wife. Yeah. What should David have done right now? He's already lingered and watched. He should he have done that already. Oh, my brother. Listen, turn the fled. Listen, remember Joseph. Isn't it? Run away. If anyone remember Joseph, just remove yourself from the situation. Now, bear in mind, we, we, we know that all of us, who's, you know, if you've had any type of struggle that can relate any way toward this, you know, in the moment, it may not feel as easy. However, Joseph did it. And we have seen examples where it's been done. And at the moment, David is just giving me pure stalker vibes. He notices, that's fine. He then looks and he watches, you get me? He watches, I imagine he was there for some time. And then he's making inquiries. He's finding out who, um, you know, so this is. Yeah. I think this is the I'm same healthy. problem that Saul had, because as king, people make you feel entitled. So... David didn't see the problem with what he was doing at this point. Agreed. Right. And I think... Oh, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I just think, but from the time he asked who she was, he knew that he was going to sin anyway, because 
from the time from the time he started inquiring, be like, oh, what's her name? Where's she from? But he knew it was gonna go left because you shouldn't you shouldn't have asked. You should have kept it moving, but he didn't. What's your name? What's your number? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it was gonna go did. left. De- yeah, David was on credit at this point. I mean, <laughs> I think look, us as men, right? We gotta understand us as men. This is this is a serious issue, mm. right? This is a serious thing that that pretty much plagues all men, right? And we've got to catch ourselves because right when it says, look, you may have caught yourself looking for too long. Yeah. But right when this man says, wife with Uriah, as soon as this man says wife, in your mind, you've got to be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Fences need to go up. Joseph, how can I do this thing against my God? You know, them ones need to, and we need to be sharp on that because if we dwell in this, in verse three right here, this is a problem. Yo, on a serious thing, I'm not. I'm not saying this to like even steer the conversation too much. But imagine if we could get to this point in our minds still, because our thing is obviously we start seeing as much as God sees like a difference in certain magnitudes of sin. All sin is sick. He also he also sees all sin as sin and punishable by death. Yeah. And we sometimes turn around and we're just like, you know, it's fine if I look, it's fine that I know she's, you know, that I know she's married and all of this, um, you know, all, all of that is fine. But in reality, we should be treating someone that is taken the same way that we would treat someone that, you know, you start speaking to her and then you find out she's like 17 or something. Like, you get me? Mm. Imagine if we actually learned to treat everything with um the same type of, what's the word? Of no, you get me for sure, All right? Met sir. I don't know what I'm to say. Okay, okay. All right. Um. Okay, let's read verse four, and then we're gonna go to somewhere else. So yeah, let's read verse four. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him. And he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Mad. Okay. So what, well, there's a there's a lot in that verse, right? There's a lot of assumptions, right? Oh yeah. A lot of assumptions that we can make from that verse. Mm. So, number one, right? He sent messengers. He sent messengers. He didn't okay, even so, himself. He yeah. sent command them to say, "Yo, my boy is looking at you. What are you saying?" You yeah. This is and the probably would have known what the what the king was calling her for. Mm. This is the president sending out it's the secret it. service to go sequester Bay and bring her back to the White House, and then after that, sending the secret JFK. service, see, see, sending the secret service to deliver her back to her yard. Cool. All right. Then obviously she came onto him. He lay with her. Now it, the Bible is very fast when it goes through this, right? But let's be honest. There would have been some courting. There would have probably been wine. There would have probably been food. There would have probably been low light situations. You know, this this is a, is the madness going on right here. Yeah. Then it says what? For she was purified of uncleanness. What does that mean? I'm assuming this. I believe. Go on, Danny. I'm assuming this means she's just gone through her monthly thing, isn't it? Yeah, so she's just gone through, she's just finished her monthly thing. Yeah. 
And what happens right after a woman finishes their monthly is that that is right afterwards is the most opportune time for baby making. Yeah? It's called ovulation, yeah? Happens right afterwards. So David wanted to leave a lasting impression. Well, I don't know. The thing is, David probably doesn't know this, but I'm just saying the Bible is very clear when it, when it talks about this. Number two, it also means that she's not already pregnant. Yeah, because you wouldn't be going for your monthly if you're already pregnant. Yeah, just clarifying whose baby it would be. Cool, exactly. Clarify, thank you, Tyler. Clarifying exactly whose baby it would be. And then it says she returned to her house. So before we go into verse five, which I think is the maddest verse in this, in this group, of verses, we're going to go to First um, James chapter one, verse thirteen to fifteen. And so I'll go read that. You say James chapter one. Yeah, did I say First James? I didn't mean that. James chapter one, one, verse. Yeah, James chapter one, verse um, thirteen to fifteen. Okay, so James chapter one, verse thirteen to fifteen says, um, "Let no man say when he is tempted." I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Guys! Nathan, break it down. It's... It, yeah. It's interesting because it's kind of, it doesn't say that it doesn't say that man is drawn away of his own sin. It's saying that it, it, it's literally it's literally separating um what's the word? It's literally separating lust. Even though lust is a sin, it's saying lust is something that draws you into sin. Do you get me? Mm. And, and so and so I it's interesting because it's saying we, we know that lust is a negative already however it's saying that like lust is the thing that makes us entertain sin and all of a sudden all of a sudden you've crossed over the line mm. reese i don't know where it comes from but it says somewhere about these three things i hate the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life mm. and we've gone through those before we have we have and um, yeah, is is this whole period right? This whole process of um, your you have your own. So it's suggesting that every person has their lusts already. Yeah, you're naturally born with your lusts because it says every, it, it happens when temptation is born from you entertaining the lust that you already have. Man's own lust is taking. Thing. And once and once you and the problem is once you've entertained it, that's the it's the entertaining of the lust. Understand that you have lust, and when it comes up, you need to cut that off fast. David, if he was in control of his mind, would have from the time he saw Bathsheba, would have been like, mm, maybe I shouldn't be looking too tough. But fair enough, you want to inquire. I mean, he's got seven wives already. You know what I mean, like. Maybe don't get an eighth wife. You've got one for every day of the week already. But say, let's say he wants an eighth wife already. Um, anyway, right? As soon as the, the, the man says, this is the wife of Uriah, alarm bell should be going off. 
but the alarm bells aren't going off because he has entertained his lust already. The lust is entertained. So we know from this point, it doesn't matter who she is. David is on the, on smoke at this point. So that verse four happens. Right. But verse four happens, it's funny, right? So verse four happens, she comes in, they do their thing, and she leaves. Right? And David probably thinks to himself, well, I've got that out of my system. It's all done. Wait, 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 let's continue. Then verse five happens. Someone read verse five. And a woman conceived. Yeah. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Cool. Right. So to know that you've conceived, right, it usually takes maybe a week, a couple of weeks, can even take a month. Right. So it's likely maybe it's less than a week has passed. When verse five happens, I can imagine David is instant panic. Mm. Instant. Mm. Uh, before verse five, he was calm. Didn't think anything of it. Went back to went back to chilling in his castle in, in his uh, in his palace. Felt nothing of it. Verse five happens. Instant panic. Why do we think he was panicked? <laughs> because of what he does next. No, no, no. Because no, 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 no. No, but I'm saying like. So, so in my mind, because my man that's... did not plan for this, you brother, come on. <laughs> Any of you men on this chat will understand if some girl is gonna come up to you and tell you that you beat three weeks ago, yeah. Let's say it's three weeks ago you dealt with this thing. She's come up to you and told you, yeah, I'm pregs. You're gonna panic. That's it. No, but I'm saying that, like, for me, this also says that David cared about his reputation. For sure. Obviously, if you get me, king, bruv. Mm. But we need to make well, we, we, we have a king perspective. Yeah. Mm. This is a mm. madness because this is like, imagine Megan and Harry, and Harry's got a baby coming, but it's not Megan's. Uh, what's, uh, put, have that in your mind, but then imagine that the law of the land, say that there's a law in England to say if you commit adultery, you deserve, you're going to die. This um, is that's it. the law, right? This and Prince Harry does that when he's married to Megan. Oh Lord. We understand. This is what this is this is the situation now. So before, when she went back to her house, no one really knew about it other than his own people. So you know what? Sweep it under the rug, nothing really happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue. When now she says, I've conceived, at this point, David's thinking, rah, this is a problem. It's a big old problem. Yeah. Interestingly, right, here's a discussion point for you guys, right? Do we think we understand David at this point is is very culpable? This is all David's fault. However, how much do we think Bathsheba is culpable in this situation? Listen, 50-50, straight up, because man can't just jump in a woman. Yeah, but it's a king, like. Nah, still, bro, it's the same thing as if, imagine you have a little sister and one rapper tries to talk to him, to her. You get me? It's the same principle. Because someone's got clout, you're, are you automatically going to let that change who you are? No, I hear what and, you're saying, right? I'm, only, my, I'm not saying she's not completely, she's not at fault, but I'm saying that it could be, or if I say no, you know, you can get me killed, you can get my husband killed. Yeah. There's more weight as king rather than 
just clout. So that's the only reason to say mm, you could put a bit of doubt on her. Like, so you said... I, I see what you're saying. However, at the end of the day, he's not he's not gonna risk his reputation to force a thing, is he? Uh, it, that, no, that you see, I see. I'm just saying here that we see in verse four, and David sent messengers and took her, and she came into unto him, and he lay with her. In my mind, that he sent messages and took her, that's not a request in my mind. Hmm? I'm just saying the Bible says, and David sent messages and took her. They brought her to the palace, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like it's the same thing as you slide into someone's DMs and then you send Uber for her. Oh my gosh. Yo, you know what? (laughs) I was serious. Look, right. This is this is where I stand on this, right? Bathsheba, number one, could have refused to go with the messengers. Oh no. Because she I I I we're not told, but I'm I'm I would I'm, I find I would find it hard to believe that she would have um been completely unaware of what the situation was going on. Right? So you've just been bathing outside like on the roof where people can see you, right? No, I'm not really necessarily saying that that was particularly bad, but maybe it was naive, I don't know, right? But you've just been doing that and then messages come to your door saying the king wants to see you and you know that your house is near the palace. Like, and if they didn't say it explicitly, you could probably work it out. At this point, you should be thinking, no, nah, I have a husband. Right, number one. Number two, when she gets there, she could have refused. I, for me, David isn't the type of type of person to be forcing pe- himself on people. From what we know about David, from what we've read about him in the Bible, it just doesn't seem like that's the kind of guy David is. Right. So, although there would have been pressure, he's the king. Like, um, he, David is probably a good-looking guy. He's probably fit for battle. You know, he's rich, he's powerful. The, all these things are, are likely to be attractive to her, um, but also add pressure because, you know, can she really say no to him and all this kind of thing? But ultimately, she should have said no. However, I still place more blame on David than I do her. I wouldn't go as far as to say it was 50 50. I hear this. And the only reason I can agree with it is because David, as king, has a responsibility to guide his people in the correct way. For sure. You are now bringing down people with you. You shouldn't be doing this. For sure. And it doesn't continue, It doesn't stop there. Right? All right. So, let's continue. So, David is in panic now, yeah? First of all, David has just found out he's, he's going to have a child with this woman. And that means not only reputation down the drain, not only does it mean, oh, what if Uriah finds out and starts a rebellion? Not only does it mean... Um, he deserves to die to, due to Levisical laws. Um, this is this is just it's just a, it's a mess. It's a mess right now. Whole heap of mess. Interestingly, he didn't really think it was a mess until he found out there was a child. It was a mess back when he was looking at a woman on the roof. Understand? But he only realised it was a mess when the child was there. Verse six. How many people do you think that is reality for? That's, that's, that is reality. What are you talking about? Mm. Literally, reality for everything. 
We respond to we respond to consequences. It's like if you steal something, no one knows. Ah, oh, you feel good about yourself. The moment you get caught, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> Simple. Okay, yeah. Verse six, verse six. Where are we reading from? Sorry. Um, Second Samuel chapter 11, now um, for verse 6. Verse 6. So David sent this word to Job. Send me Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how asked him how Job was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left to the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. Cool. Uriah, All right, let's stop there. Okay. So David thinks he's slick, right? <laughs> David thinks he's slick. David thinks he's slick. So he's, he's brought up in his brain. Right. Let's sort this let's sort out this situation. Uriah come back from the war. Joab sends um, Uriah back. And they're chatting. He doesn't care how the battle is going. David right now does not care how the battle with Israel is going. We know that. That's that's plainly obvious. Uriah is not there because of any battle. No, he's not there for any information. But he's like, yeah, how's how's um, how's the war going? Like, what's going on? Like, what, you're fighting well? Yeah, the people are good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go wash your feet and go back to your house. You're always speaking, all right, well, you know. He thinks, he, you're right, an innocent person at this point. He thinks maybe the, the king wants to know about the war. He tells him, and then now he's sending him back home, right? And he sends, it says, a mess of meat from the king, right? So we understand what David's intentions here are, but it's going to get worse, yeah? Verse 9. But Uriah leapt at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camus, thou not from thy journey why then did thou not go down unto thine house cool let's stop there what, what do you think what, what do you think david's um what's going on in david's mind when he's asking these questions um david is trying to get uriah to go and sleep with his wife so that when the baby comes um there's plausible explanation for sure, right? But now he's he's realised that Uriah's not going down to his wife's house, right? He sent Uriah, go wash your feet, go down to your wife's house and, you know, do your thing. But Uriah's not gone. And now David is now standing in front of this man. He, said, <laughs> he says, Camus thou not from thy journey? Why dost thou not go down to thy house? What kind of, what, what tone do you think David is asking these questions with? That annoyed, aggravated tone, but he's trying not to show it. Yeah, kind of panicking inside, but not really trying to trying to trying to be calm about it. But really, he's sweating. 
Yeah, he's sweating. Right, what's your rider's response? This is how you know your rider was a good guy. Your rider didn't deserve this. First 11. And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamping open in the open fields. Shall I then go unto my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Right. Right, let's let's um, continue to verse 30. Um, okay, so are we doing verse 12 as well? Yeah, so and David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, but went not down to his house. Right, get this right. We we have seen um, several occasions where people have been drunk in the Bible and they've done silly things, right? We hear that uh, near the start of the Bible with Noah. We hear that with Lot and his daughters. We hear that you know it's it's not it's not a it's not surprising when you hear people are drinking and then doing nonsense afterwards. However, here we find something very strange with Uriah. Uriah's conviction to be um, true to what he should be doing is so strong that even when David gets the man drunk, he's still not going. Why was it, why, why was he, why was it such a thing for him not to go to his, to um, go and sleep with his wife? Because when it came to going to battle for soldiers, right, it was like they would take um, uh, 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 a, a, a period of celibacy because it was like right we're all going we're all leaving like this is we're now going on god's work like this isn't a time for like you know it was like a, a almost like a period of, of ritual um, cleanliness right and so uriah to go sleep with his wife would have broken that kind of code that law to say um actually you shouldn't be doing that while we're at battle and so uriah is dedicated right now yeah, you're right. Even drunk, he's saying, "No, nah, no, nah, not about it." While David, who is the king, who should have been in battle in himself, should uh, is is the one doing all the nonsense. You understand the 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 dichotomy between David and Uriah at this point. Let's continue. First, um, unless someone has a comment, first 14. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah to the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be he struck down and die. Sixteen. So while 
Joab had the city under siege. Siege, siege, siege. He put Uriah at the at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. Where the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the head he died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, "When you have finished, give me." The king, the account of the battle. The king's okay, anger. Let's look there. Okay. All right. Um. Let's let's just see what happened. What what just happened? He got swindled. Raya <laughs> got swindled. Nah, but it was more than just a swindle. What what happened? Like what happened? David Power hit. That's essentially what happened. But it's a little bit mad the way that it happened. Uriah has proven himself to be a man of honor. Yeah. I don't know if any of you picked up on that. Uriah's proven himself to be a man of honor and um, integrity to the point where, you know, his country's at war. He's not going to go. He's not going to enjoy himself until enemies have been vanquished. Um, he serves at the pleasure of the king. Even when he was drunk, he was going to lie down with it. He's going to just like find the servants quarters and chill. Rather than going down to his like um his house, you know, we're still in wartime. David purposes to kill Uriah because Uriah is not sleeping with his wife. There's no way for him to hide his transgression, and so now he just has to remove the 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 question, remove the problem. He gives Uriah his death sentence letter to carry to the commander. As a man of honor, Uriah is carrying that letter. He has he has a, he doesn't read it. Someone gives you a sealed letter to someone else, so you're opening it and reading it. And so he's unaware of all of this. And when he dies, he, you know, valiantly, I imagine. But David put out an orchestrated hit on Uriah. David, David is actually, um, this is actually really bad. Trash. <laughs> it's trash. Like if you wanted to say men were trash for any uh, particular situation, this is the this right here. This this crowns it. Yeah, understand, David. At the point where Uriah didn't go down to uh, with his servants, he knew someone had to die. He knew either him or Uriah were going to die for this situation, and he knew he was at fault. But he thought, you know what? I'm not dying for this. Uriah's dying for this. So he sent. As, as Nathan said, he gave the man a letter saying his own death sentence. Like, what kind of evil do you have to be to say, yeah, here you go, <laughs> here's a <the> letter. <laughs> go take this to Joab. <laughs> and David, knowing that this guy is, is, is honourable, knows that he's not going to open the letter. And the man is now dead. David's conscience still hasn't hit him yet. There's another element quote, it says, But as David departed from God and yielded himself to the wicked one, he became for a time the agent of Satan. Yet he still held the position and authority that God had given him. And because of this, claimed the obedience to that would, um, obedience that would peril, imperil the soul of him who should yield it. And Joab, whose allegiance was given to the king rather than to God, transgressed God's law because of the king commanded it. So understand, right? David was king. And we talk about, we've, we spoke about his responsibility already. 
David was king and his responsibility was such because he was supposed to lead his nation to be closer to God. However, at this point, Ellen White says he was, he was, um, he became an agent of Satan. Which means an agent of Satan is now leading the kingdom. Joab, because he is more loyal to David than he is to God himself, reads the note and says, yeah, no problem. And now he, David has caused not only himself to sin, not only killed Uriah, but also caused Joab to sin by killing Uriah. But David, even at this point, does not feel bad yet, right? Has, hasn't hit him that this situation is out of control. Okay, um, verse 18. Um, I just wanted to make yeah, that, that we don't really think about often that whole thing what you were just saying about um, David causing Joab to sin and why David was loyal more, I'm sorry Joab was more loyal to David than he was to God and that is uh, I feel like that's a warning for us because come on we make ties down here we learn to love people and there's some people even though we are human <laughs> you know, there's some people, it's hard to stop loving them once you've started, you get me? And sometimes we can, you know, sometimes we get compromised because of our relationships. And this is that part where our allegiance needs to be, like, first and foremost to God. Because, listen, remember, if not in the first chapter of Genesis, or in the third chapter of Genesis, Adam and Adam compromises himself because of his loyalty to Eve. And it's just this whole thing of like, don't love anyone else more than God. Um, because apparently the end of it is negative. The end of it is dangerous. The end of it will cause you to sin. Mad. That is mad. Good point. Um, okay, so yeah, verse 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when thou hast made the end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be, and, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto you, wherefore approach ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Know ye not that they would shoot from the war? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubashai? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall, that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead, is dead also. So the messenger went and came on and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field. And we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from the wall, shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. I'll just finish. And David said unto the messenger, in fact, just, just before I read, Jerob sends this message to say, you know, this is what's happening in the battle. Right? And saying, 
there was some bad strategy when it came when it came to fighting the um, this war. There, there was a wall that they were trying to take, right? And they ran up to the wall and people got, got killed. And Jerome says, look, this is what happened. But before the king gets angry about the battle plans, just tell him your eye is dead. How mad is that? And David hears that and is like, okay, yeah, say no more. That's, that's what I wanted to hear. Other men have dead, dead, you know. It's not just not just Uriah died in that in that silly excuse for 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 a battle plan. But it's like, yeah, cool, cool. That's what I wanted to hear. And it says, then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword shall devour one as well as the other. Make my thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her unto his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. But the thing that David um, had done displeased the Lord. Why this is so deep, right? Why this is so mad? Is David came out of this thing looking good. Let me tell you why David came out of this thing looking good. Uriah just died. And in Jewish um, culture and part of Jewish law was that if a man died, his brother should then take on his wife so that he can um, look after her and heir them a son and all the rest of it so that the line can continue. However, David does that to Bathsheba. And now the very... And because Uriah is a Hittite, he doesn't have any, like, family within Israel. So it looks like, oh, David has been so magnanimous. Look at him. He, he took one of his soldiers' wives and it's like, he's now looking after her. Oh, wow, well done. And then they have a son and the son would have been celebrated. But the people don't know the circumstances in which his son has been born. So David is now being, oh, well done. Oh, it would have looked good. His reputation would have been great. But in actual fact, what was important was the very last line of that verse. It's the speak the Lord. Yeah, go ahead. I feel like the next bit is the matter part because it says Bathsheba was upset by this, but she weren't really no upset girl because she just j- then jumped up to go wife David. Like, I feel like she has to take a lot of responsibility for Uriah's death as well. I don't know. I think, this, I, I think at this point, right, we got we got to understand what. The, the society is at this point and women are very much like property at this point in time so um Bathsheba is now a widow and has a child right but at this point Uriah is gone so she has no way to um to support herself like widows were were, were part of the people that were the lowest in society because they had no one to look after them. That's why in um in the New Testament it talks about looking after the widows, right? So David, so her um, wanting to get married to David was actually more of a um of a economic and a and a and a necessary outcome for her rather than it being oh yeah great your eyes then now I can go with David who I really wanted to be with. If that makes sense. But who says she really wanted to be with David? This That's is- what I'm saying. I don't. I don't think she necessarily did really want to be with David like that. It's just that at this point she had nowhere else to go. Mm. Mm. 
like he's the father of her child. Um, she hasn't got any other husband. Like, what would, what would you supposed to do? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. Did she just like? Did she want to be with David to be in with from the start? Like, was she not doing all of this out of obligation that he's like the king? Okay, the Bible doesn't necessarily say this out um, explicitly, but how it seems is there was a bit of both. A lot of it was about obligation. He's the king. He's telling me to do this. How can I really deny him? Like, what does that mean for me if I say no? Like, what's going to happen to me? Is he going to kill me? Is he going to hurt my husband? All of those thoughts may have been there. But also, I think there was a bit of, oh, the king thinks I'm attractive. Oh, that's nice. And oh, look, he's rich. And oh, da, 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 and oh, da, da, da. and actually, she slipped. Where she should have thought it more, she didn't. And then she's kind of found herself in this predicament. So I don't think at this point she's she's now thinking, oh, David's, I, I love David and I don't like Uriah. I think at this point it's like, we both slipped. Like, like where do we go from here? Kind of thing. Rather than it being, oh, I wanted David all along. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. We're making yeah. sounds like she's making the best of a uh, exactly bad situation. Exactly. Right. Okay. So before before we get into chapter twelve, right? There's another Ellen White quote that says, and this one's deep. It says the Bible has little to say in praise of men. Little space is given to recounting the virtues of even the best of men who ever lived. The si- this silence is not without purpose. It is not without a lesson. All the good qualities that men possessed are a gift from God. Their good deeds are performed by grace, of by the grace of God through Christ. Since they owe all to God, the glory of whatever they are or do belongs to him alone. They are not but instruments in his hand. More than this, as all the lessons of the Bible history teach, it is a perilous thing to praise or exalt men. And we know David was being exalted. We know that from last time when women were singing in the streets. The exodus killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. We had, that was probably happening throughout the next 20 years. You understand? Um, for it comes to um, lose the sight of his entire dependence on God and to trust in his own strength. He is sure to fall. Man is contending with foes who are stronger than he. And although that is talking about spiritual things, I would also suggest that things of a sexual nature like David was experiencing, us as men and also women need to understand that this thing is often stronger than we. Yeah, so it's not something that we could be like, oh yeah, I'll just grip my teeth. Like sometimes we need that, that spiritual intervention. And it is possible for us, and is it, impo- it is impossible for us in our own strength to maintain the conflict. And whatever diverts the mind from God, whatever leads to self-exaltation or to self-dependence is surely preparing the way for our overthrow. The tenor of the Bible is to inculcate distrust for a human power and to encourage trust in divine power. It was the spirit of self-confidence and self-exaltation that prepared the way for David's fall. Okay, so that was the chapter on David's fall. Now we're going to deal with chapter 12, um, which Daniel said was was even more deep. 
and um, I'm inclined to to understand where he's coming from in, in that regard. So yeah, let's read um, from verse one, chapter twelve. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. Am I continuing or? Uh, yeah, continue to let the story if you can. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and, nour- brought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom as, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveller unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out to the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee of the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord unto Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbour, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and before the son. Cool, let's stop there. All right, thanks. Good reading. Wow. All right, so yeah, so, 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 let's, let's just do what just happened there. Uh, Daniel, I feel like you can you, you just break this down for us. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you hear something and it gets you mad, yeah? You think about it later on and you realise you've done the same things and then you're horrified at what you've done. But in the moment, you don't really look at how this is actually offending the people around you. David was too caught up with what was going on I don't think he was too caught up with what was going on. He was just too caught up in Bathsheba in the moment. And he didn't think of the consequences. He didn't take no time to consider what will come out of this. And then he started cussing the person as soon as Nathan came to tell him this story. Don't feel like you're big, Nathan. However, like, he used someone who was always around him to explain to him what he had done. And as soon as David realised, it was like shock and horror descended upon his life. It was it was painful for him. Oh, man. The, um, 
Well, I, f- I just, I find it, I understand, Dave, David is quite a just person generally, right? So when David hears the story, he is irate. He's like, what? The, 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 the rich man took the, the poor man's lamb? How could that even, what, what kind of nonsense is that? You know, he's talking about, he's talking about lambs, you know? He's not even talking about like people, which David was doing with actual people. This man is talking about lambs. David is like, no, the man has to die. No one knows the man has to die. He has to give back fourfold what he took. And then David, and then David just goes, very, very calmly, it almost seems, yeah, you're, you're that guy, bro. Oof. Do you think if David had known what he was talking what Nathan was talking about, he would have either kept his mouth shut or responded differently. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But David was caught up in the story. And then when, that, when, 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 when Nathan broke it down, it was all a bit like, you know, when you bite, you know, when you bite your knuckle, like, ah, oh, like that's, that's where David was at this point. Nah, but you know what I think part of this was as well? This was God in his infinite mercy he didn't tell David what was going to happen to him. David told himself what was going to happen to him. Exactly. He, he, he wrote his own... Um, exactly. You know how God gives us stories throughout life? We write our own stories. Okay. So um, let's just read verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, so I shall not die. Howbeit, because of because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the children also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Great. Okay. What do we see um from David in this verse of verse um thirteen? Straight up acknowledgement. Man doesn't even try to hide from it. Straight up acknowledgement, right? We saw Saul, right? Saul in the previous um, book, when it was shown to him, oh, you shouldn't have done the sacrifices um, before Samuel got there. Remember when we read that? Saul was all about excuses. Oh, but you weren't here and um, we need to do the sacrifices. And oh, now you're here. Or when he um, didn't, kill all of the, I think it was um, was the Ammonites or Amalekites at the time. He mm. should have just killed them and killed the killed the kings and mashed up all the livestock and everything should have been destroyed. But no, he was full of excuses. Do you know Maybe what? When he met with his sin, he was straight, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Straight. And that's why I believe God didn't go, oh, and because of this, you're not going to be king anymore like he did so. But that didn't mean that there wasn't consequences. Understand, right? We 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 read at the start of this chapter, uh, at the start of chapter eleven. This all started because David was lax with what God had told him to do. God had made him king and given him a mission. We all have a mission. However, David was lax, he was lazy, he was self-confident, he was whatever we want to call verse one. And because verse one happened, verse two happened. And because of verse two happened, verse three to five happened. And because verse three to five happened, 
Mm. People died. We understand. And not only did people die, we're now going to see that the back, the 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 um when when David said and he's going to pay back fourfold, that wasn't a joke. Mm. He paid back fourfold, and not in good ways. We're gonna we're gonna touch in that in a bit, but not in good ways. Understand that sin, sin is subtle. What do we mean by subtle? And we've talked about this before. It doesn't have obvious effects straight away. If if David looked at Bathsheba and when he looked at Bathsheba saw um, Uriah die, his baby son die, um, his three other of his sons die, um, him his kingdom get messed up, um, all all of this stuff happened, right? If he saw the consequences of that sin, do you think he would have done it? No. No, he would have looked away. There's no way he would have been sitting there watching Bathsheba. Understand? Because it wouldn't have looked worth it. This, the 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 um the the trick or the or the um the deception of sin is that it's not that bad and that actually whatever it is that you want to do is worth the punishment it's worth the consequence i get the consequence we all know the consequences of sin we all get it we will like a lot of us have been in church since we were young we get it but the 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 deception of sin is something comes and you're just like, you know what? I just mm. want to do it regardless of the consequences. Nathan, And this is just one of those things because there's references to this all over, but I'm thinking of one from um, Stamps of the Christ where it's just saying, you know, the procrastination and all of this in reality, when, we, when we're tempted and we just decide, oh, you know, at one time won't hurt, we are literally like choosing to live in sin. We are literally choosing in that moment to be like, you know, God, I love, you know, I love this more than you. And, you know, we're kind of like willing to take, um, <laughs> mad, willing to take that punishment, that the wages of sin, which is ridiculous. Um, can I just read something just um, from that chapter of, um, steps to Christ that deals with repentance yeah. and it's just where my mind goes when I hear about David and his sin but this is just talking about yeah. what David did after he found out how, after yeah. Nathan, Nathan told him give me a second so it's just saying um, the prayer of David after his fall illustrates the nature of true sorrow for sin his repentance was sincere and deep there was no effort to palliate his guilt no desire to escape the judgment threatened inspired his, inspired his prayer. David saw the enormity of his transgression. He saw the defilement of his soul. He loathed his sin. It was not for pardon only that he prayed, but for purity of heart. He longed for the joy of holiness to be restored to harmony and communion with God. This was the language, the language of his soul. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man upon whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in his spirit there is no guile. Take it from Psalms 32, verse 1 and 2. And also, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy praises. A repentance such as this is beyond the reach of, of our own power to accomplish. It is obtained only from Christ, who ascended up on high and has given gifts to men. Um, it's just this understanding that repentance obviously is um, consists of having true sorrow for sin and turning away from it and it's something that we um, I remember before before I like for instance read this chapter I didn't really understand it but this chapter just outlines that repentance is something that God gives us in time true repentance and that the outward um, part of it, which is coming to God um, and confessing and all of this is a part of it, but the true repentance is something that God gives us when we seek him and when we keep um, seeking him. Thanks for that, Nathan. And thanks for going to Psalm 51. Um, and just a few points on this, right? There's two things. How often do we, like David, when we're confronted with all our sin, go straight to God? Versus get confronted with our sin and think, actually, no, God's not going to hear me right now. Um, let me wait a day. Let me wait a couple of days until I feel a bit more holy or a bit more spiritual. Do we go straight to Psalm 51 and that mentality once we've sinned? Number one. And number two, do we ever actually go through the same kind of um, process that David goes through when he, when he wrote Psalm 51? Nathan just read um, a few quotes from there. And it's like, things like, create a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Are we praying those prayers? Or are we just praying, oh, Sorry, I messed up again. Please help me to do better next time. That, to me, does, is not a, a true repentance of what we're doing. We understand how deep sin is. We saw what happened with David's story. One little lapse of, of, of concentration. Like, so, David right here, this is why... David is called a man after God's own heart. I believe for this moment right here, even though it was, it was probably his worst, his point is his worst point in his life. It shows how much David saw that he messed up. Do we treat our mess ups in the same gravity at the same level? And therefore is it easy then to repeat them next time? But yeah, Nathan, thank you for going to um, Psalms 51. It's good. It's a nice quote from, from, um, from Steps to Christ. Again, great book. If you, if you, um, if through this week you go and read that chapter of repentance, it will be, be well worth your while. For sure. Okay. So before we close, right, I just wanted to read um, 
through a bit of chapter 13, right? Just so that we understand, again, some of this, um, some of what had, what the consequences of David's sin was. Remember David said the man, the rich man would pay back his thing fourfold. And we see the rest of chapter 12, it talks about how David's son with Bathsheba died. Okay, so that was one. Yeah, so let's let's continue chapter 13. This is when stories get get mad. Okay, um, I'll read the first five verses. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon, Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he saith unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come, and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it, and eat it at her hand. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him um, meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was laid down and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and he uh, and did bake the cakes and she took a pan and poured them out before him but he refused to eat and Amnon said have out um, all the men before me that they went out every man from him and Amnon said to Tamar bring the meat into the chamber that I may eat from thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. This is wild. That's 11. 11. But when she took it to, but when she took it to him to eat, and he grabbed her and said, "Come to bed with me, my sister." No, my brother, she said unto him, "Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king." He will not keep me from being with, sorry, he will not keep me from being married to you. 14. 
but he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than her, he raped her. Then Anand hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he, hate, he hated her more than he had ever loved her. Anand said that to get up and get out. I'm sorry, this is so wild. It is very wild. It's the wildest. You know what's, you know what's mad? You know, you know one of the things that just got me? Verse to verse, verse 13. And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he, he will not withhold me from thee. So you're telling me that in true biblical fashion, because apparently there wasn't nothing plenty of people on the earth, it would have been fine if if you know if it come back come back in a year we'll get married you get me mm. but 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 obviously this guy he wanted what he, he he wanted what he wanted and he took it by force um this is this is a very um plain instance of rape in the bible what hurts my soul right as well even after all his nonsense from 1 to 14 right it then says, Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that such with a hatred um, more than he had ever loved her, and told her, get out. What? <laughs> I'm just, I'm so baffled. For like, me, what is going on? I was going to yeah, comment yeah, yeah, on that yeah. as well. I don't Go understand on. what happened there. You know what? I think, I think this guy was one of them people who just likes things, innit? And then once he had it, like a child with a toy, once you've got it, it's no longer interesting. I'm not trying. To, yeah, I'm not trying to be funny, but I think that that's you know that's kind of it because this is. I'm not saying that I'm not shocked, but this is a behavior that we've seen before with rapists. You get me. Um, and this is you know it's it's not to say that object of your affection remains of your affection and it's not necessarily even the object of your affection it's the object of your lust and then we can see that as soon as as soon as he got what he wanted he switched up there was no love here yeah that whole thing just makes me sick but anyway let's continue verse 16 And she, and she said unto him, there is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. Oof. And she had a garment of diverse colours upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head, rent her garment of diverse colours that was on her, and laid her hands on her head and went on crying. Yeah, this is all very wild. Bro, 
Yo, I'm just I'm just processing Whoa. this as I'm reading it, and it's kind of causing me to to understand where Absalom came from with all of this. For sure. So hmm. this is what happens when sin goes unchecked, guys. Right? This is right here is when sin goes unchecked. When sin can just go rampant and just, you know, think it's just, it's, it gets ridiculous. Yeah, I think that, Jonah, I think it's Jonah Bab or whatever. I feel like he had, he had fault in it because if your friend told you he's about to do something like that and you gave him a whole plan, the idea, you were wrong for that in the first place. I think that's important yeah. for having like men. I think that's important to have like like-minded friends because they won't lead you in astray. For real, for real, for real. It's it's not. Nah, I feel like the I feel I feel Linnea's point. The cousin is the most one at fault here because the cousin planted this idea in his head. I don't know about most at fault, but yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know mo- most at fault. Maybe not, but do you know them ones? I hate, I hate. And we it's thought- the same when we hear see David's story as well. Because when we see, like, the servant that told him about Uriah's wife, he could have just been like, you know, David, come on. Like, the same. He could have just stopped him right there and be like, come on, bro. Same way Bathsheba could have stopped him and been like, come on, this isn't right. Same way Joab could have been like, nah, we're not killing Uriah today. But all of these people just carried on with their nonsense. Complacency. They, they, all, they all believe that because they're not the ones that are carrying out the acts there, there's no weight that is on them. For sure. But then, also reading this, I don't, it doesn't seem like, you see, this guy, he doesn't seem like this is something he would have, he would have found himself to if he, if it hadn't been for the idea that was given to him. It's all mad. Yeah. It's all mad and the characters in here are all mad. Like I'm sorry, I've 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 looked into the next. Where did we finish? We finished up on verse 18. I've looked into the next verses and I've been thrown again because it's not the response I was expecting. Exactly. Let's continue. Let's continue. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna read from verse 19. I'll read like two verses and then someone can take over. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of her garment of diverse colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold thy, hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Yo. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. And Absalom spake to his brother Amnon, and neither good nor bad, but Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Can I show you 23? Oh, uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. Two years later, when Absalom's ship shears were at Balhazar near the border of Ephraim. He invited all the king's sons to come. Absalom went to the king and said, your servant has had shears come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, king replied. All of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. 
Although Absalom urged him and refused to go, but the but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, Why should he come with you? But Absalom urged him, so he sent him with he sent him, he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon when Amnon, Amnon is in high spirits from the drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given, haven't I given you this order? Be strong, be brave, and brave. And to continue? Uh, it's just the one verse. Okay. So Absalom, so Absalom's men did not did. So Amnon, what Absalom had ordered, and then, then, all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. Okay, this is where this is this this is this is the problem, right? This thing happened with Tamar and Amnon. Absalom finds out. Absalom is obviously vexed with the whole situation. David is angry, but David does nothing. David does nothing. David hears that his son has, has raped his daughter and he does nothing. This is the wildest part of the story to me. And so what happens, right, is that two years later, Absalom is now still obviously hating his brother, creates this idea so that he can finally kill him. If David had just done his job as king, then this situation wouldn't have happened. And the whole next um, stories that come through 2 Samuel is the problem with Absalom and David, which wouldn't have happened if David had just been a good judge or a good king. Why was David not a good king at this point? I think he was still carrying the weight of what he did with Bathsheba and he hadn't forgiven himself properly. That's it. David couldn't, David couldn't justifiably judge his son for what he had done because he knew in the back of his mind he had done pretty much the same thing. Oh, hold on. So is this David admitting that he basically forced himself on Bathsheba? Well, I, I, I don't know about that, but uh, it more, when I say more, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, like, a very grievous sexual sin. Oh, okay, okay. Right? Which led his son to kill his other son, and then his son now to create... The whole next bit of the book is, is oh, yeah. the whole rebellion against Listen. David. Ooh. What Absalom did was rude, you know? Didn't need to happen. And we, we're seeing this because David did not go to war when he should have gone to war. Hmm. He continued watching when he should have turned his head. He continued to call the woman when she when he heard that she she had a husband. You understand? Sin is not a game. You can read chapter right, chapter thirteen. It is ridiculous.
that this whole situation wouldn't have happened if he had just been doing his job. And although, yes, his repentance was amazing, something that we can um, call exemplary, that doesn't mean that the cause of his sin, David was not the same person after this thing happened. David was not the same. The different man. The cause of the, the result of his sin weighs so heavily on his heart that he couldn't even punish his son for raping his daughter. And we can understand why Abs Absalom was still on this thing for two years, waiting for his dad to do something. Do you know what? At this point, no one can be surprised when Absalom tried to kill him. Not only tried, succeeded so much so that the rest of the the rest exactly. of the sons of David ran. Exactly. It's all madness. But yeah, any other um, any other points before we close? Mm. I oh, think my my last point would be that that um. That last Ellen White quote really sings home. We as people, we need to understand exactly how morally depraved we can be. Like, it's not a joke. Like, <laughs> these things actually happened. And I'm like, going to go to the again, Nathan? Sorry, I was just going to point out that for us, that my twin um, has, pointed, has brought up a couple of times where it's just saying, um, you know, there's a light in every man. If that light is turned into darkness, how great is that darkness? How great is the absence of God from your life? This is when people start to do a madness. This is where, this is where the, this is where the Hitlers come from. And let's not pretend whether we know about it or not. There's probably people that have done worse. So. It's saying that it is it is a dangerous thing for us to choose to live life without God. Very dangerous. In fact, it is it it's might. impossible not to be like that with with like unless you have God. It's impossible. We get hit this because of opportunity, not because of of because he's any worse than anybody else. Mm. I keep being hit by the one that says before we wrestle not against flesh and blood, innit? Mm, like exactly. and powers. This is not something that just reading the story and knowing that the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, this makes it all the clearer that what are we able to do in our own strength? Mm. Oh, sorry, Matt, sorry, go ahead. What, what was David supposed to do, though, about um, his son, Nathan, his daughter? Like, what was he supposed to do to him? The he's Lord supposed was, to kill him. Yeah, the Lord to kill him. As mad as it sounds, he's supposed to kill him. Oh, okay. But also, 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 also. Now, bear in mind, quick, just a quick disclaimer. 
children are ultimately responsible for themselves and it is just a fact this is to say that there are some people that actually haven't been bad parents and their children have turned out as a massively as, as just you know mm. Yeah. Mm. however 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 at some other place in Samuel or if it's Ellen White or something there is reference made to the fact that David felt that his sin disqualified him from calling out his son on his sin. And he felt that he felt that the fact that he'd been guilty of this, and this is that whole thing um, when um, I'm remembering also from Steps to Christ, there's a point where um, non-Christians, they look at professed Christians and they look at how sinful and how hypocritical we are. And they say, I'm no worse than these guys. So it's okay then, when obviously in reality their salvation is their own, um, is 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 each of our, each of our own life um, issues, and we can't point out other people's um, wrongdoing as an excuse to go and be like them. And it's just this idea that you've got to do what you've got to do, what regardless of how you've been in the past. When you know something is wrong when we know something is wrong and we see it or we're tempted to do it or we see someone that we're close to tempted to do it, we have a duty. And this is the part that gets me. It's the fact that it's, it's not just anything else. It's a duty to actually step in, a duty to be a voice, a duty to, to actually help the people struggling with this and this to go and not do this. Can, can you imagine the responsibility of helping the person with certain... Um, predispositions to end up to not end up turning like turning out a rapist do you get me it's almost like we're, we're we've got to do this preventative work yeah yeah as like to just um I'll finish answering your question but sir if david had judged him so if there was a if there was a court if there was a like this is what you did this is your punishment, if it was death or not, even if it was banishment or or whatever other price he could have paid, right? It would have stopped Absalom from having to take things into his own hand. What Absalom did was murder. What Absalom did wasn't right. Although it seems right to us, we're like, yes, Amnon got his just rewards. Good, He's, that's what he deserved. But in God's sight, Absalom, he... Absalom wasn't in the position where he should should have been could have done that. David was. David was king of of Israel. If David wasn't prepared to do that, he should have given his throne back and said someone else be king. But because David was weak, because he couldn't handle his own sin, meant that it destroyed his family. His his, his daughter destroyed. One son is dead. Another baby son is dead. One is now running around the kingdom trying to create his own army to fight David. It's all, it's all of the madness now. And I feel like Absalom would have at least been like, okay, like even if David hadn't killed him, which is what he should have done, but even if David had mercy and said, right, you're going to be banished to this place. I think Absalom would have at least been like, at least there was some kind of punishment. David did nothing. Amnon was walking around like next man. You can imagine for two years looking at someone, knowing that they didn't get any retribution. Think about it as well, because Absalom had 
his sister at yard for the two years. For the two years. Every day, man goes out, he sees Amnon just walking and cooling and chilling with man them. Nah, it's gonna it's gonna vex you. Even me, I think I would be to the point of that if I had known someone done something like that to my family. It was gracious for him to wait two years, to be honest. <laughs> Bro, you, know you think I, mean? I would have waited two years? It was gracious for him to wait two years. There must have been a huge build-up because for two years, as as what you man are saying, some people walk about. It's all mad. It's all mad. Mm-hmm. David just dropped the ball. So yeah, as I I I I, I say to close, we need to really give sin its proper place in terms of understand how bad and how dark and how you know think how things can get if we think that we can be self-righteous if we can be self-confident if somehow we think we can work hard and we can make it it doesn't work that way when it says we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity it's not just a nice thing that we say it's born understand something that is born in something and shaped in it it can do nothing else but be that thing and it's by the grace of God only that we can do anything else other than that. And David lost sight of that for what could have been a few weeks. Lessons, lessons for us. All right, let's pray to close because I don't want to run too, um, five into four o'clock. Um, Ainsworth, do you want to pray for us to close, please? Ainsworth, still there? No? Okay. Um, Mutsa, could you pray for us to close, please? Okay, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this day that you've given us, and thank you for guiding us. Um, thank you for this lesson that we've had and please help us to always remember that um, sin is not the best and that we should never, we should always, um, you know, all the time and just make sure that we don't make sin come into our life like it did to David. And thank you for everything that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.